So it's Christmas, right? Christmas is a time to remember. A time to remember the uh, familiar smells from the kitchen. Time to remember the sound of children laughing. uh, The familiar glow of a brightly lit Christmas tree. And, And you know, each of these things and so much more remind us of moments from our past, of glimpses of experiences and of emotions that have uh, shaped the whole way that we view the holiday, really. Uh, A holiday that in many ways uh, was shaped by our Protestant faith and by its greatest reformer, Martin Luther. Uh, You know, and over the course of the more than 30 years he had in the ministry, Luther uh, often preached from the Christmas narratives in the Gospels uh, and from other passages related to the incarnation of God the Son. And, and he usually would, would preach on the Nativity several times a week, actually, during uh, Advent, carefully working through each passage verse by verse with his congregation. Uh, and, you know, and he also uh, wrote at least five Christmas carols, composing the music and uh, coming up with the lyrics. And in all of that, one of the main themes of Luther's theology of Christmas was the humble circumstances of our Savior's birth. He wrote, we may be tempted to think that if we had been in Bethlehem, we would have given the baby Jesus the welcome that he deserved. If only we had been there, Luther imagines us saying, how quick I would have been to help the baby. And yet, said Luther, you only say that because you know now how great Christ is. But if you had been there at the time, you would have done no better than the people of Bethlehem. You know, Luther is reminding us that Uh, No matter the people involved or the time period in question, uh, this old world is just never seems to be quite ready uh, to receive or to recognize our coming king. Uh, And that's really the message that we're going to be looking at today through the text of Psalm 24, uh, a text that calls us to acknowledge the entrance of the king of glory into this world in his first advent at Christmas. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to Open them to Psalm 24, uh, which subscription reads a Psalm of David. And he writes, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and has established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. You know, no less than, uh, actually 110 of Luther's Christmas sermons have been preserved, and throughout all of them, his uh, preaching on the Incarnation, Luther's deepest longing was for the simplicity of, of its humble message, and for it to make its way into people's hearts. Uh, A message emphasizing that, as he said, it is not we who come seeking the king, but it's the king who comes seeking after us. And in fact, in one of his uh, sermons in 1521, he kind of drives this point home 
by saying, this is what is meant by thy king cometh, that you do not seek him, but he seeks you. You do not find him, but he finds you, for preachers come from him and not from you. And their sermons come from him and not from you. Your faith comes from him and not from you. And where he does not come, you remain outside. And therefore, he says, you should not ask where to begin to be godly. There is no beginning except where the king enters and is proclaimed. That king who willingly left the glory of the throne room of heaven to be born in the humility of the manger from where we celebrate his birth. But, you know, just, just how do we begin to properly celebrate it? How do we celebrate the entrance of our, our creator and our savior? And thankfully, David helps us out with that today in Psalm 24. Listen to, again to how he encouraged the, the people of his day to welcome their savior. He says, lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And when you read that, uh, you may be thinking, well, Pastor Joe, what does that have to do with Christ's incarnation? So let's back up just a little bit for some context. Because, uh, you know, on, on, when it comes to this psalm, a lot of ink has been put to paper by uh, pastors and commentators speculating about Psalm 24, uh, speculating on what occasion might have prompted uh, David to write this psalm and on what its purpose was. And, and the majority have suggested that Psalm 24 was written and composed by David for the occasion of bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the capital city of Jerusalem for the very first time. Uh, now, there isn't time to recount all the story uh, for you here now, unless you guys just want to stay for a while since it's raining. Um, but you can go home later this afternoon and uh, go to Second uh, Samuel chapter 6 and read about how the people of God uh, sang their praises and how King David danced before the Ark with all of his might in that moment uh, when the visible presence of God himself entered uh, through the gates of that great city. And so in writing Psalm 24, David is inviting his people to welcome God into their city and into their lives uh, in the same way that they would uh, actually understand from their culture because it was the same way they welcomed King David himself into his own capital city. I have to imagine the, the king coming and the gates would be unlocked with great ceremony to welcome him and and the doors of every home in the city would be thrown open as people spilled into the streets to greet him. And now today, thousands of years later, those words still speak to the people of God. And they take on a special meaning for us during Advent as we prepare to celebrate the entrance of Christ into the world. In the same way that David called on the people of his day to lift up the gates of their hearts to God and to to throw open the doors of their lives to him in service uh, to him and to others. Because, you know, brothers and sisters, once the king enters in, things are never the same again. That's really the spirit of Psalm 24. Uh, and that was equally present, you know, in the life of Martin Luther. If you've had a chance to read any of his biographies, uh, they record that second only to his devotion to Christ, that Luther's life was sustained by a blazing sense of humor and by a happy home life, particularly during the seasons of Advent and Christmas. If you're familiar with the life of Luther at all, you know that all year long was open house in the Luther's household, in that large uh, converted monastery at the east end of Wittenberg where he lived with his wife Katie and with their uh, six children and with dozens of other visitors and, and students who constantly stayed there as well. 
And that guest load only increased as the holidays approached. So there was plenty of people around to witness the goings-on. And, and one of those folks, one of those men, uh, wrote that as Christmas approached, Luther grew increasingly uh, cheerful. And then he records that all his words and songs and thoughts concerned the incarnation of our Lord. And then he would sigh, and he would say to those around the table, Oh, we poor people, that we should be so cold and so indifferent to this great joy that has been given us. He says if Christ had arrived with trumpets and laid in a cradle of gold, uh, his birth would have been a splendid affair, but it would have been of no comfort to me. He was rather, though, to lie in the lap of a poor maiden and be thought of of very little significance in the eyes of the world so that now even I can come to him, now as he reveals himself among the downtrodden. So you see, Luther wants to emphasize that the Christ, the King of glory, came humbly through those gates of heaven uh, and into the world, into us and our humble circumstances at Christmas, not to be served himself, but to serve us and to take up residence in our hearts and in the hearts of all the faithful. And that, as I said, is really the heart of Psalm 24. That's the message of King David. That was the burning desire of Martin Luther. And in fact, uh, if you look at his writings, there's a very familiar prayer attributed to Luther that really captures the spirit of the text today because he prayed, Come, Lord Jesus, and be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Have you all ever heard that prayer before? Yes. All right. Now, oftentimes, unfortunately, it's just used as a table blessing that we rattle off in haste and uh, without much thought as folks are waiting to dig into the Christmas dinner that's on the food uh, table in front of them. But, you know, if we really stop to think about today's psalm and about that prayer, what an amazing thought it really is. The thought that, that we poor sinners ask Jesus Christ himself to come through the doors of our hearts and to live within us. That we ask the Lord, strong and mighty, to be near us and to be around us and to be within our gates uh, when all of us much too often rebel against His presence being anywhere around us in our circumstances. So, you know, this morning as we look at Psalm 24 and as we travel through this Advent season as a whole, we need to be asking ourselves, how can you and I best receive Him this Christmas? How can we best receive Him? How can we more fully invite our great king into the gates of our everyday lives and our everyday circumstances. Uh, And for those of you uh, who may not know Christ, uh, my hope is to show you just how he is willing and able to come into the very core of your hearts and your lives. But how do we do any of that? I mean, how can you and I possibly pray, uh, come Lord Jesus and be our guest, especially when King David began this psalm by reminding us of the immense greatness of the God that we're addressing. You know, he said uh, in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And so when we realize that if God is the one who created this whole universe, if he's the one by whose rule the world is sustained, then how can anyone expect to meet him? How can any of us expect to stand in his holy presence? How can we dare approach him? Well, well, David tells us that too, but I'm not so sure that we're going to like the answer. Uh, his answer was to, that, uh, to asking the question, he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? Uh, and then he tells us, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, 
He who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And that's not super good news because he said God's presence is only for someone who's perfect. Who's ready? Right? Not me. David's telling us that anyone who lifts up his soul or puts his or her trust in something that's worthless in anything other than God should think twice before approaching him and seeking an audience with him. Uh, In fact, Luther wrote along these lines too. He said, man's entire heart and all of his confidence are to be placed in God alone and in no one else. He said, put your confidence in anything other than him, in your money, your hard work, your intelligence, someone else's strength, someone else's help who will bail you out, and you worship a nothing. A nothing. You're worshiping yourself because you're putting your desires above God's and really making yourself into the idol that you worship. And that really presents a huge problem for us, doesn't it? Same problem it presented for David. For David, whose uh, hands were certainly not clean and whose heart was certainly not always pure. A man whose, whose lusts led him to lift up his soul to the idol of himself in vanity and in pride to pursue relationships that he knew were violating God's law. And so how could he dare to approach God? How could he approach the hill of the Lord seeking his blessing? Would have been a huge problem for Luther too. Uh, Luther, who in his early days before his conversion said of of God's righteous requirements, he said, this word uh, is too high and it's too hard that anyone should fulfill it. Uh, And he wrote, uh, although I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed uh, conscience. He said he never felt like he could live up to God's holy standards. He said, I'm told every day at Mass to love God, love God, love God. But he said, I didn't love, but rather I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners because he said no matter how many good works he did, there were never enough of them. And even the ones he did weren't good enough. You know, the Apostle Paul echoed that same sentiment in Romans chapter 7 where he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So then when you read that, we have to ask ourselves if these giants of the faith like David and Paul and Martin Luther don't feel like they measure up, then how can we? How can any of us dare to pray, come Lord Jesus and be my guest? But, you know, thankfully, Psalm 24 doesn't let us off the hook. It pulls us through that kind of rough patch of the question and into a better answer because David wrote, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And who's his salvation? Jesus, right? Those who seek God and put their trust in him alone receive his salvation. They receive his Jesus. We receive his perfect righteousness from God as a gift. The gift of the Christ of Christmas whose, uh, by whose blood shed on the cross our hands are washed clean and through which we are invited to participate in the greatest gift exchange that has ever taken place in human history. And, and you know, that's saying a lot because, you know, uh, gift giving and, and receiving and, and returning have gotten uh, so easy and so streamlined these days because of the internet that you can pretty much do all of it without ever leaving home, can't you? Anybody shop online this year? Right? But you know, it's still not always foolproof. 
kind of, kind of like the parents who, who placed an order with Amazon for a, a complete treehouse uh, that they wanted to assemble on the week leading up to Christmas while the kids were still at school. And so uh, they placed the order and this gigantic package arrives. And, and they unpack all the materials and, and they open up the assembly instructions. And then all at once they realize that instead of the treehouse that they were expecting, that the materials that they received were for building a sailboat. So, so the husband, he takes out his, his cell phone and sends an email to Amazon customer service to complain. And, and, and after a minute or so, he got a reply back. And, and I want to read to you the company's reply. They, they wrote to the man, Dear Amazon customer, we have already been contacted by the customer whose package was accidentally exchanged with yours. And while we regret the inconvenience this mistake may have caused you, it's nothing compared with the folks who went out on the lake trying to sail your treehouse. So even the best of companies uh, make mistakes when we order things. And we have to hassle through the exchange, but our God does not make mistakes. We do. We choose the wrong things. We choose the wrong paths and choose the wrong attitudes. But God comes along and makes our wrongs right. He instigates that. He, he arranges it. And if you're wondering what this uh, gift exchange program is, well, it's the very heart of the gospel that... Christ took on himself the punishment for our sin, and in exchange for that, God reckoned to our account the righteousness of his Son. That's why we, we read, as we've read in several sermons from the Apostle Paul, that for our sake, he, God, made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, Luther said of this, he said, this is that mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, wherein by a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. And so you see, there's no salvation without that exchange. We need a perfect record to be reconciled with God, but guess what? None of us has one. But when we rest in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we're clothed in His righteousness so that when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin, but instead He sees the perfect righteousness of His Son. And the reason that we desperately need that exchange is because of a prior one that's already happened. A tragic one that each of us have made at one time or another. And again, the Apostle Paul is helpful here. He writes, For they, meaning humanity, meaning you and me together, have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. See, Paul is saying that when the King of Glory came to enter into the world, nobody recognized Him. And even if they did, they didn't want any parts of Him. That's why the Apostle John tells us, the true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came unto his own and his own people did not receive him. But instead, what we did, what you and I did as humanity was we refused to worship the great and glorious creator and in its place we bow down to gods of our own making and only the death of Christ can satisfy God's righteous anger for that. That's why our God made this great exchange available. 
This great exchange in response to the terrible one that Adam's race has chosen because by Christ's perfect purity, we are made perfectly pure. By his perfect obedience to God the Father, our idolatry is erased and we receive that vindication, we receive that righteousness, that declaration of perfection without sin, without spot, and without blemish because of the Lamb of Bethlehem. Our, our conquering Savior of Calvary, our King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would reign on the throne of your heart and on the throne of my heart. And so, brothers and sisters, as the King of glory comes to you in this Advent season and you recognize who it is that's coming to you in the Word and in worship and in the sacraments that we receive, all those, those humble and ordinary means of grace that as Jesus himself come to offer you his greatest gift. Have you received your King? Have you... Uh, seen him unlock the doors of your hearts have you felt him throw open the gates of your resistance to him wide open because if you do then all that's left to say is come in dear jesus come in come in and receive him today as as david did in psalm 24 rejoicing with a happy and eager expectation and confident in the salvation that he brings receive him like Martin Luther did, who was weighed down by physical difficulties and, and social ills and spiritual problems uh, of this life, but who trusted in the King of glory to conquer all of his foes and to clean his hands and to purify his heart like no uh, monkish devotion could ever do. And then welcome him. Welcome him this year with joy and cheer and the same warmth of that Wittenberg parsonage whose, uh, whose place and, and doors were always thrown open wide to the waiting world, the the world that needed to hear the good news that Christ brings. The good news of the gospel. The good news of God's grace and the love that he has for you. So brothers and sisters, this Advent season, throw wide the portals of your hearts for the King of glory to enter in. Who is he? He's the Lord. He's the Lord strong and mighty. He's the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. He is Jesus Christ to whom we pray, come Lord Jesus and be our guest. And let our lives for you be blessed. Amen. Will you pray with me? We do pray today, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would let our lives for you be blessed. That you would, uh, in this moment, Father, be so real by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open every heart that's been closed to you. That you would open every mind that's been opposed to you. That you would reclaim every lost sinner and every sheep of your fold. And so, Father, in this holy season... Make all of us ready and prepared to receive that light that comes into the world, that light that lightens every man. And so we trust in you for all that you do for us in this holy season, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.